And if you remember, and you were here in our first week of the series, uh, we read from the Gospel of Luke 11, where the disciples of Jesus had a request of Jesus. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I believe they had that request because they saw a couple of things in Jesus that they hadn't really seen before when it came to prayer. Now, the disciples were familiar with prayer. They knew what prayer was. They, 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 they've seen it their lives. They've been around it their lives. It, it was a part of the culture in, in that time. So they knew what prayer was, but, but they hadn't quite seen a prayer in the way that Jesus did it. And so there were a couple of things that they witnessed about Jesus when it came to prayer. They saw his consistency with prayer. And I believe they also saw the results of prayer. And so seeing his consistency of prayer, seeing the results of prayer, prompted them in their own minds to say, hey, whatever that is that he's doing and however he's doing it, there's something to that. They began to draw a correlation between power and prayer, between a relationship with God, a, a, a true communion with God and prayer. And so I shared in week one that for maybe some of us in here who may not be seeing the victory in our lives that we want to see when it comes to our walk with Jesus, or maybe we're not seeing the power of God active in our lives like we would really want to. If you remember, Pastor Sonny, the last Sunday of 2019, preached the message on expecting the supernatural. Incredible message. You can go back and listen to it. But none of that will come without prayer. None of that will come without a life of prayer. And so my, my, my plea to us in the first week of this series is that we would uh, 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 reconnect and rebuild the power lines that have been broken in our lives. And the power lines, the broken power lines in our lives is a prayerless life, a life without prayer. That we would desire to develop a lifestyle of prayer a lifestyle of prayer, not just momentary prayer, not just prayer that we pray sporadically uh, in, in case of an emergency, but, but pray, prayer that, that, that happens that is consistent every single day of our lives. And so I shared in the first week, in order for us to develop a, a lifestyle of prayer, there are three things that we need to do. We need to make time, we need to find a place, and we need to have a plan. We got to make the time for prayer. If it's a priority for you, you'll make the time for it. We got to find a place. We got to find a place that doesn't have distraction. We need to find a place that maybe we can get along with God. Well, we got to find that place. But we also must have a plan when it comes to prayer. We got to have a plan. Which prompts the question that many people probably have in regards to prayer who may not have a prayer life. And that question often is, well, how do I pray? When I'm not asking for something, what else do I say? What do I, what do I include in my prayer time when I'm talking with God? What's the plan? Well, the good news is Jesus gives us a plan. Jesus gives us a pattern. He gives us an outline, a blueprint, a, a template to what prayer is. And we know that as the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 9. I want to read it from here. And actually, I, I want us to read it together. I want us to read it collectively. And you may know this. This may be a slightly different version than some of you are used to. Some of you may be used to uh, the King James or New King James version of this prayer. But, but I'm reading it out of the NIV, so you can follow along on the screen. But let's, let's go through this together. Verse 9 says, this then is how you should pray. So let's all say collectively together. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You sounded great. The Lord's Prayer, many of us know that by heart. Many of us didn't have, even have to read that on the screen. But I want us to understand something about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not, was not given to us as a, as a recital. Jesus did not give us the Lord's Prayer so we just memorize the words and just recite the words. Because how many of you know and would agree with this, we can recite words without them ever impacting our hearts. We can recite words without it ever uh, uh, getting in our minds of understanding. We can recite things we don't understand. And so what's the point of reciting the Lord's Prayer when we don't understand it? What's the point of reciting the Lord's Prayer when it hasn't impacted our hearts the way that Jesus intended it for us? And so what I believe the Lord's Prayer is, is Jesus saying, you want to know what to pray? Here's how you pray. He's given us this outline and this blueprint. And so last week I began to dive into the Lord's Prayer. In, in hopes that we would just get better understanding, in hopes that maybe we would just get more enlightened the next time we see this prayer, the next time we hear this prayer, even the next time we say this prayer. And so we began last week where Jesus begins. He says, our Father in heaven, which has to do with relationship. Jesus desires for us to have confidence in our relationship with God to have confidence in our relationship with God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now he went from relationship to including worship in your prayer, including worship, hallowed be your name. God, that you are holy, you are, you are set apart. There is no one like you. There is no one greater than you. He wanted us to take time in prayer to, to love and worship God. And as I read last week, the psalmist said to, to forget not all of his benefits. In other words, let's recount all the good things that God has done in our lives. Recount all the blessing that God has, has given us. And I think we get amnesia sometimes when it comes to the goodness of God. And so you want some ammunition for you to worship God? Begin to recount things that he's already done for you. Begin to recount the blessings of God. That'll take you into worship real quick. So relationship, worship, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is, this is trust. This is us praying God's agenda first. This is us praying God's will first, God's will over our own will. This is us saying, God, I trust your will is greater than my own. Now there's a trust factor in there because when you pray that, what you're saying is, God, whatever you say goes. But why some of us may be afraid to pray that in our prayer is because what if that thing you're praying for, God doesn't want you to have? 
Or what if that thing you currently have, God wants you to get rid of? Do you trust that his will is greater than your own? So the next time you pray and you're praying his will over yours, let's, let's be open to God. Well, whatever you say, I'm moving forward with it. This is about us uh, aligning ourselves to to God's program, to God's standard. We're not trying to align God to us. We're trying to align ourselves to God. And so now that we've established that trust, now that we've established that we need to pray his will over ours, we can continue on in the prayer. And so now verse 11, Jesus goes on to say in the prayer, give us today our daily bread. In other words, what Jesus is wanting us to do, he's wanting us to depend on God for everything that we need. This is provision. To depend on God for everything that we need. I love the way Dr. Tony Evans says this. He says, God doesn't establish a program that he doesn't fund. And so if we have aligned ourselves with God's program, you best believe God is going to provide everything you need for your life. But that's only if you're in alignment with his program, not your own. And so we are praying God's provision. God, give us today our daily bread. If you remember week one, I said prayer is about us being fully dependent on God and his word. Fully dependent. Fully dependent on his written word what he's already said, and I wholeheartedly believe God still speaks today. And so if God tells you something, God shows you something, God reveals you something in your time of prayer, in your time of conversation with him, do you trust him enough? It is us being fully dependent on God, fully dependent on his word. But here's a common mistake that I believe many of us make when it comes to his provision. Oftentimes we say things like this, or we live life like this. We, we, we live it like this. We say, God, I, I've got this part covered. I, I've got this all figured out. God, if you can just help me with this portion, I'll, I'll handle all the rest. God, I, I've got the 80% down. I've got the 80% of my life figured out. God, I just need you for this 20%, this one difficult thing that I need. God, if you can just deal with that, I'll take care of the rest. That's hinging on a passage of scripture you may all be familiar with. God helps those who, what scripture is that in? What verse is that in? What book of the Bible is that in? None. God helps those who help themselves is, is, is rubbish. It is bogus. It is, it is false. God helps those who are fully 100% dependent on him. And so when we are praying God's provision, we are trusting that we can be dependent on him. We are trusting that, that he's going to provide all that we need for our lives. But I believe the reason why we do that, why we pray, uh, God, like you can handle this part and I'll handle the rest, I think it's done out of fear. Because I believe that there are certain things, and this this may be for some, it may be for all. But there are certain portions of our lives that we just don't want God involved in. 
There, there, there's certain things in our life we just don't want them in the mix with. Like, like God, you're good in, in this aspect of my life, but, but this part, just I, I'll deal with this myself. And I think the reason why there's a fear is because some of you are holding on to something that you know if you get God involved with that something, he may tell you to let that thing go. Maybe it's a relationship with somebody. And you don't include God in that relationship because you know he or she is not the right one for you. So you'd rather just not ask God because you already know what he's going to say. I've got this, God. You can just handle this over here. God wants to be included in every aspect of our lives, our personal life, our marriage, our family, our finances, our careers, our jobs, our leisure time, our entertainment time. Yes, I said our entertainment time. Either God is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. God doesn't want to be Lord over 80%. God doesn't want to be Lord over 99.999%. God wants to be Lord over 100% of your life. And so when you say, give us today our daily bread, you're saying, God, I am dependent on you for your provision of every aspect of my life. I need you to function in life. Depending on him for everything that you need. Matthew 7, 11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now we're, we're, we're identifying relationship again, right? How much more will your Father in heaven? I want to say something that is not in the Bible, so this is just kind of my opinion, my viewpoint on this. So let me just kind of step aside from the Bible for a moment. But here's what I believe when it comes to God and fatherhood. One, I believe that God really enjoys being a father. I think he really enjoys that. I would also venture to say, too, and I don't know this 100%, but based off some of the characteristics you read about God in Scripture, I would almost venture to say, too, that father is probably his most favorite title. He can be Lord without you making him Lord. He's still Lord regardless. He can be powerful whether you believe he's powerful or not. He can be mighty whether you believe he's mighty or not. He doesn't need you to make him those things. But there is one aspect of our lives that I think he truly enjoys the most out of everything we could ever say about him, and that is calling him Father. Calling him Father. And I think I would venture to say that's probably his most favorite title. Now, I don't know that 100%. That's just my viewpoint on it. But I do think he really enjoys being a father. Why? Because he loves giving to his children. He loves when he hears that his kids are in need where he's able to come in and meet that need. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those 
who ask him, Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Give us today our daily bread. Depend on him for everything that you need. And we go on to read in verse 12, continuing on in the prayer, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is us getting our hearts right with God and with people. Jesus is saying, when you pray, make sure there's an element where you're getting your heart right with God and with people. This is repentance. There's there's two parts here. The first part is getting our heart right with God. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. We are asking God to purify our hearts. We're asking God to purify our attitudes. God, forgive me of my sin. 1 John 1, 9, we read this all the time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, remember, we're not shocking God with anything. God knows every sin you've committed, whether you've verbally said it or not. But when we confess our sins, we're not revealing anything to God, but we are coming in agreement with God that what we did was sin. And it says that when we come in agreement with God about our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so when you go to the Lord in prayer, ask the Lord for forgiveness. Now, why do we need to ask God for forgiveness on a daily basis? I believe this is why it's so important. It's not so that we can just relive our failures of sin. That's not why we do that. It's also not for us to secure our salvation either. Some of you think, oh my goodness, I just sinned. Man, if I don't ask for forgiveness, man, I'm not saved anymore. No, it's not even that. But when we ask for forgiveness from God on a daily basis, The reason why that's so important is so that our our, our fellowship with God, our fellowship, our communion with God can be restored due to all the hindrances of sin in our life. Let me explain what that means. It's similar to a marriage, right? My wife Nancy and I, in the eyes of God, we're married. Legally, by the state of Texas, we are married. We are a married couple. Now, let me just kind of let you in for a little bit into our lives. Don't get get scared. I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) But let me let you in a little bit to our lives. We don't have the perfect marriage. Really? I know y'all thought so. I know y'all thought, man, with that perfect husband, how could you not have the perfect marriage? I know you thought that. But contrary to popular belief, we do not have the most perfect marriage. There are times where we don't see eye to eye. There are times where we we may argue. There are times where we may get into some deep, deep, deep discussions. There also may be times where I say something that offends her where I may say something that hurts her. Now, that doesn't change the status of our marriage. We're still married, but something has hindered our fellowship. Something has hindered this relationship. 
My, my words may have hindered the relationship. My, my words may have hindered our fellowship. Our, our argument, our, our disagreement may have hindered our fellowship. And so if I want to uh, rekindle the fellowship, I have to go to her and ask for forgiveness. Nancy, forgive me for saying what I said. Let, let, let's, let's, let's get this right. Let's make this right. Why? Because, man, I don't want us to be upset at each other. I know we're still married, but, man, I want us to be, be happy in our marriage. And so it's the same with our relationship with God. Your sin doesn't break off your salvation from God, but it can hinder fellowship. It can hinder you from being open in communing with God. And so when we confess our sins, we're saying, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of those things that are hindering our fellowship together. And if I can be really honest, there have been moments in my own life where I know my, my fellowship with God has been hindered because of sin. Because of unconfessed sin. And so every day I got to get before God, say, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me what I did yesterday. Forgive me what I did this morning. Lord, forgive me a constant act of repentance. And I also believe it's important for us to do this because if we don't, we can get comfortable with our sin. But see, if on a daily basis we're, we're repenting of our sin, if on a daily basis we're asking for forgiveness, we're not getting desensitized to our sin. We're acknowledging, yeah, that's sin, that's messed up. I need to get that right with God every day. I don't want to get too comfortable with my sin that I stop asking for forgiveness. So it's about getting my heart right with God. But then the second part of this prayer and forgive us our debts or our sins as we've also forgiven our debtors, as if we've also forgiven those who sinned against us. So getting our heart right with God, now we're getting our heart right with people, forgiving others. But I need you to pay close attention to this statement here because this could revolutionize something for some of us. He's saying, God, I want you to forgive me to the same degree that I forgive others. Think about that statement. God, forgive me to the same degree that I'm forgiving others. Does that mean that if I have unforgiveness in my heart and I continue to hold unforgiveness in my heart, that that may hinder my own forgiveness? Could it be that if I have unforgiveness in my heart, that could be one of the major reasons why my prayers are hindered and my prayers aren't getting answered? Say, Lord, forgive me to the same degree that I forgive others. Forgive my sins as I forgive those who've sinned against me. Who do you have ill will towards in your own heart? Who do you have unforgiveness for in your heart? And if you're holding unforgiveness, I suggest you check that before you go to the Lord in prayer next time. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Matthew 6, 14 says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
So may an act of repentance be included every time that you pray, every time that you come to the Lord in prayer. God, forgive me for the sins that I'm aware of. Lord, even forgive me for the sins that I'm not even aware of. But also that, Lord, if there's unforgiveness in my heart towards someone, I need to get that right. I need to get that right. Some of you maybe right after service today need to make that phone call and release somebody and say, I forgive you. God, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. Let's continue reading in verse 13, continuing on in the Lord's Prayer. Now Jesus goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I think we can kind of better translate that a little bit. Father, don't allow us to be led into temptation. Don't allow us to be led into temptation. This right here now, we we are confronting the devil. We're confronting our enemy. This is now warfare. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the devil does exist. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but newsflash, he hates you. He hates you with everything, every fiber of his being, he hates you. He hates you because you love God. He hates you because you're trying to follow God. He hates you. And he's going to do everything he can to destroy you. He's going to do everything he can to hinder you. He's going to do everything he can to knock you off the plans and purposes that God has for your life. And so when you pray, it's okay to confront the devil. It's okay to acknowledge, yeah, devil, I see you. I see you. My God, deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from the devil. Prayer is communion with God, but it's also confrontation with the devil. And I talked more about spiritual warfare in a previous series I did last year called Battle Ready, and you can go back and listen to that. But, but I read this passage of Scripture as our foundational text for the Scripture. Ephesians 6, 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of it, in his mighty power, but put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual war that is happening. The devil who hates you is going to attack you. The devil who hates you, if he can't get to you, he'll try to get to those closest to you. Uh, last week, we began our 21 days of prayer. And, and I don't know about you, but the week leading up to it and the week that I started it, I really felt like the devil was trying to attack me. Now, I'm not the dude that puts everything on the devil. That's not me. Like if my car messes up, that's on me. I should have got the oil changed. But I do believe that there are, there are certain attacks of the enemy that he presses on us. There are certain ways that he pushes us. There are certain ways that he hits us. 
And so the week leading up to the 21 days of prayer and even the week of, like I really felt like the devil was trying to come at me with things and, and just come at me from different angles, different corners, like he was really trying to hit me. And so I, I, I recognized that, I acknowledged that, and I was praying against that and praying, coming, coming to the Lord with that. And um, a friend of mine, you, many of you know him, Travis Moffitt, he's, he's preached here numerous times as well, but he shot me a text earlier in the week, and he said, he said, hey, Chris, man, just calling it, just, just wanted to text you just to see how you're doing, how are things going with you? And he does that periodically, and in the beginning of the week, he, he, he shot me that text, and I was going to be honest with him. I was like, man, you know what? I really feel like the devil's just been hitting me this week. We started this 21 days of prayer, and I feel like the devil's hitting me. And here's, here, here was his response to me in our text. He says, well, Chris, if you're praying and fasting, I promise you that you are hitting him harder than he is hitting you. Did you catch that? And that's what goes on in prayer. When you confront the devil, when you begin to go to the Lord, when you begin to go into spiritual warfare, you are hitting the devil far harder then he's hitting you. Yes, he's hitting you and it stings. Yes, he's hitting you and it's rough and it's tough and it's all those things. But I promise you, if you're going to the Lord in prayer, you're praying and fasting. I promise you, you're causing way more damage to his kingdom than he's doing to your life. Why? Because God is on our side. In that prayer, it didn't say, I'm handling the devil. You're saying, God, deliver us from the evil one. God, we need your victory, your help in this. And guess what? 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He's already won. We already have victory. Oh, you can get way more excited than that. I don't know. We have victory. And so in prayer, it's okay to acknowledge that the devil's there. It's okay to acknowledge God. This has been a rough week for me. And fathers, let me say that. How many dads do we have in the room? Fathers, your father. I'm calling you out this morning. And here's why. If you are not going to battle for your family in prayer, your family's already lost. Father, I urge you Fathers, I urge you this morning, I urge you this morning to fight for your family spiritually. Be the man of the house. Be the guardian and protector of your home. For many of you, you've seen the devil attacking your family. You've seen him come in, and we've stood by and done nothing. When you've been given the authority, you've been given the right to confront the devil. You've been given the right to confront the enemy. And so fathers, take your place and spiritually fight for your family. Fight over your marriage, fight over your children. Take them to the Lord. 
Quit being intimidated. Quit being weak. And be strong in the power of his might. Stand up for your families. Stand up for your family. If you are the head of your home, because I recognize too that there are moms in here that are head of your home. And for some of you, the father is present and you're still the head of your home because you have to be. I commend you, mom. I commend you for taking that stand. I commend you that if you said, if he's not going to do it, I'm going to do it. I commend you. Thank you for fighting for your family. Thank you for praying when your husband won't. As heads of our home, we are mandated, commanded. We must fight for our family in the spirit. We must go to the Lord in prayer for our families, for our wives and our children. And quit standing by and letting the devil punk you. Quit letting them into your home. I digress. Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's, all the Lord's people. And so when we pray, there's devotional time, but there's also confrontational time in our prayer. Acknowledge that the devil is there. Yeah, I see you. I see you. God, deliver me from that evil one. God, you provide the victory that only you can provide. Let's go to war. Let's go to war. Verse 13 continued in that, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever Amen. Now, some translations don't have that in there. Some say it was just kind of added in later on. I don't know. I don't know which way it is. Either or, that's a good statement to say. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All that is is releasing your faith in God's ability. Everything I just prayed, God, I'm releasing my faith to what you can do and only you can do. Amen. So be it. That is us walking away from prayer in faith. That is us walking away from prayer believing that everything I just laid out before God, he's covering for me. Every day. Every day. When you say amen, you are saying, so be it. Final. Done. God, it's yours. And so every day when we pray, when we come to the Lord in prayer, we can come to him with provision. God, give us today our daily bread. Today, I need you. Today, I am dependent on you. Provision. Father, forgive my debts as I 
Forgive my debtors. Lord, forgive my sin as I forgive those who sin against me. Repentance. Go to the Lord in prayer. Say, God, if there's anything in my life that is hindering our fellowship, God, remove it. Forgive me. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from that evil one, the evil one, the devil. Go to war. Go to war for your life. Go to war for your family. It's warfare, confrontational. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. I have faith in you, God. I have faith in you. I don't leave my prayer time just wondering, well, maybe he heard me. Maybe he's going to come through for me. Maybe he's got this. No, he's got this. Why? Because you are his sons and his daughters. And he is a perfectly good father. 